Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You once again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know Just what you've done Hello. Victoria? Yeah, I'm here. Um, um, Let's see. Uh, We're having a question and answer call and discussion with a survivor professional using an open mic forum. Feature a survivor professional co-host who will topics brought to the episode by you, the listener. And uh, before we announce our special guest who isn't on yet, um, I'd like to let you know that the NASCA is the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. NASCA's mis- mission statement is, we have a single purpose here at NASCA to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional trauma, and neglect. I do so with only two goals. One, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse and presenting facts from child abuse to be a pandemic, worldwide problem that affects everyone. Two, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in many issues involving um, prevention, intervention, and recovery. And I'd like to let you know that we have uh, the Black Radio Show is Monday through Friday nights at the same time. And we also have um, a Zoom meeting three days a week in Tuesday, uh, Thursday, and Sunday. And you can check out the website, nasa.org, uh, to find out more information about the times in uh, your area. And uh, we would have any um, survivors of child abuse to join us. And it's a uh, peer support group. There are no professionals. We, well, we're professionals because <laughs> we survived. And uh, we we help each other out. So I'll turn over to you, Annie. Hi. Thank you, Victoria. Did you want me to read the um, introduction? Yeah. Yeah, if you would. To Reverend Henry? Yeah, and take over the host then. The whole thing. Okay, sure. Okay. Tonight's special co-host is Reverend Hank McGrath from Caroga, 
Lake, New York, a child abuse survivor, author, and NASCA volunteer. Hank began life in a poor Irish family with four siblings in New York. Both parents were alcoholics. At 11, he was hustling to survive in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with bookies, pimps, and prostitutes. It was dangerous for a child alone. Eventually, he he served time in the juvenile detention system and as a young adult in prison for crimes he'd committed. After decades of hard living and a few near-death situations, he began facing his childhood trauma and by the 90s was happily married. When his beloved wife died from cancer in 2001, Hank promised her to fight for others on the issues of child abuse. Since then, he has worked with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children as a court advocate for youth and more. Today, Hank is a minister and is very active in his community. And uh, Reverend McGrath is not on the line yet tonight, and so we're going to go ahead and, and start without him and that's okay um we'll we'll talk to him when he comes on Uh, let me just repeat the phone number to have you call in please call us at 646-595-2118 and i'll answer the phone and and say hi and let you on into the radio or you can call in and you don't have to talk You can call in and just listen if you want to, or you can call in and ask questions and make comments. We're glad to have you. And I don't have a topic for tonight. Victoria, I think you have a topic for tonight. Yeah, well, I was um, just thinking um, that, you know, there's a lot of information on the uh, NASCA website. And uh, one thing we haven't talked a whole lot about um, it's prevention and intervention resources um, uh, for um, um, helping to stop child abuse. And it says prevention is an adult activity. And so if you go onto the NASCA website, um, there's the homepage recovery resources about in context. If you go under the resources, it says um, help stop child abuse. And again, I'm going to repeat that sentence. Prevention and intervention resources of various types. Prevention is an adult activity. And I'm going to read a little bit of this. Children are born as blank slates, completely innocent, vulnerable, and malleable. They have no internal manual for growing up, so teaching them um, prevention, giving them age-appropriate information about abuse issues is an adult activity an adult responsibility. We're impacted as kids, imprinted by the human interactions they experience. Youngsters start at birth. That's when the very foundation of the results of our lives is born. As youth, we accept our lives as normal, at least until we are able to compare our upbringing with what we see in others. We simply know no difference. The vast majority of abused children will be assaulted by adults should be able to trust now, 50% of the sexual abuse served with one in four girls and one in six boys will suffer at the hands of their own family or extended family, mom or dad, an elder sibling, grandpa, uncle, or mom's new boyfriend, etc. 
Another 30% will be abused by caregivers, teachers, ministers, coaches, and babysitters, also, etc. Adults we expect will be trustworthy. A mere 7% are abused through stranger danger. That's what I was taught, stranger danger. Okay, so that's why um, all adults are responsible for our, all kids. Uh, we implore parents to resist any reluctancy to teach prevention to their children, starting as toddlers and throughout their youth. And because so many kids are abused in the home, NASCA believes all schools should be doing this too, from kindergarten through 12th grade. So there are a bunch of resources, and one of them um, is one that NASCA represents called My Body is My Body. It's a musical child abuse prevention program, and uh, it's um, positive and fun-filled musical body safety programs around. The program has now been animated so that it can be shared with children in schools, nursery schools, sports facilities, and homes alike. Uh, this program is free to everyone, and it's currently being translated into several different languages so we can keep children around the world safer. So it says, are you looking for a way to teach young children about child abuse prevention, but you don't know where to start? Well, look no further. The Child Abuse Prevention Program contains activities to teach child musically and in a fun-filled way, and it's for children all around the world. My Body is My Body program will give you step-by-step easy ways to approach the subject through fun animated songs. This simple program will give you a way to empower children and um, will help you open the lines of communication. And so there's a free workbook and you can uh, download that. And then um, let's see, it's got some information by the Mayo Clinic, um, Guide for Social Workers. Um, They've got a whole bunch of... um, different uh, articles and intervention. Um, Recognizing child abuse and trauma isn't always easy, but it's an adult responsibility. Kids do not self-report. Many times there are a few obvious physical marks on a child, so the first step is to learn what to be aware of. The most typical things to watch for are changes in behavior, attitudes, and performance, and these can be a little different for very young kids and those who are slightly older. Next, adults need to learn how to talk to children in a non-threatening way. Again, there are slightly different techniques for very young kids, for those who are a bit older, and for teens. Try not to overreact to express anger to what you're learning while you talk to your child. Reassure the youngster that they're not in trouble and have done nothing wrong themselves. Kids are already deeply reluctant to discuss these confusing and painful experiences and may have been warned by their abuser that harm will come to them or their family if they tell. Finally, when an adult has enough of the story to be suspicious of abuse, we need to know how and where to report it. Ultimately, the in-depth investigation of the crimes of abuse is most appropriate a job for professional child welfare workers or law enforcement but officials rely on the community to do the initial reporting. Without our tips, predators will continue to abuse our children with impunity. Obviously, an immediate response is preferred when a child is in an emergency situation, and that's a call to 911. But many abuse cases should be reported through non-emergency tip lines, like 1-800-4-A-CHILD. That's number four and then a child. And they've got um, indicators of um, 
sexual abuse that um, are just some, and I'm going to read a few of these, or I'm going to read this little list here. Children often show non-physical signs that they have been sexually abused. Experts say some kids may show many of these signs, while others only a few. Below is a list of some symptoms of sexual abuse and trauma in children that don't include obvious physical signs such as venereal disease or pregnancy. So indicators of child abuse in older children include eating disturbances or eating bulimia and anorexia, um, running away, substance abuse, self-destructive behavior, suicide attempts, self-mutilation, incorrigibility, criminal activity, depression and social withdrawal, problems relating to peers, sudden changes in behavior, anger issues, and difficulties in school. Um, There's also indicators of um, sexual abuse in young children. Sleep disturbances, bedwetting and loss of fecal control, regressive behavior, self-destructive or risk-taking behavior, impulsivity, distractibility, difficult concentrating, refusal to be left alone, fear of an individual such as an alleged offender, fear of people of a specific type or gender, fire setting, cruelty to animals, problems relating to peers, sudden changes in behavior, difficulties in school, inappropriate interest for the age in sexual things. So that's just that's kind of the beginning of um, some of the resources that NASCA has. We have uh, 40 different programs um, on the NASCA website, and uh, we also have uh, numbers for um, the different ambassadors from different areas. We now have international ambassadors as well. And uh, it's really nice we got the Zoom group because it's open day. Like everybody in the world, you know, it um, used to be up. The founder built house, <laughs> so it was very small, you know, um, uh, area that they were able to reach. And uh, I think because of COVID, people kind of had to think outside the box, and it worked very well for Nebraska. We have people that there's no uh, resources for them where they live, and uh, it, it is, you know, you don't have to uh, show your face. You can put in a different name if you like, and so it's very, very. Um, um, support of. You can just come by and listen. You can share as little or as much as you'd like. And uh, we're all here, there to help each other. So I guess we could talk about um, what I started talking about, um, the different um, ways that we can um, uh, deal with our, our children and, and what we can do that, you know, um, keep children safe. Do you have any comments? Um, well, I just turned that page away. Let me turn it back here. Um, mm-hmm. I I remember when I first wanted to write something about childhood sexual abuse, and I didn't mm-hmm. know what the indicators were. This, it was all news to me. Now it sounds like, yeah. oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. But for someone who's never thought about this before, it might be quite shocking to know that fire setting and cruelty to animals can be indication yeah. of a child being abused. So, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, it takes something that we need to educate ourselves, you know, especially since there's like, um, you know, there's uh, there's no manual for being a parent, you know, and and sometimes right. you know, bedwetting, you know, a lot of kids get punished for that. They're at a certain age that they can be bedwetting, right? Instead of that somebody saying, "Oh, what's going on with this kid? Let's find out what's going on with this kid," you know, or yeah, um, yeah. you know, fear of people. You know, um, they, if they don't want to be left, say, with a babysitter or an uncle or, you know, the dad or mom or whatever, um, you know, investigate it a little bit. Start asking questions. I think a lot of times we're as impulsive to be, can't say the word, no, impulsivity, distraction, destructibility, difficulty, exaggerating. A lot of kids in schools used to be labeled like problem kids, you know. And and uh, punished, and um, things taken away from them, um, labeled bad kids, and then all of a sudden they started having special schools for kids that you know couldn't sit still or you know couldn't concentrate, couldn't learn, and um, basically, as far as I'm concerned, my son went to school like that, and basically it was just a crowd management, you know, and um, pretty much when my son was going to school, they just that any kid that wasn't sit down and focus um, had ADHD. So they were massively given uh, Ritalin out to kids. And if you did not give your kid Ritalin um, and the school said that you should, um, then they would let the kid come to school and the parent could go to jail. So it was a must. Mm-hmm. And my son did not want to take it because I didn't like how it made him feel. And not only that, there was a certain time during the day where the kids that took Ritalin would all get up and go to the nurse's office. So, like, everybody knew which kids were, you know, were on Ritalin. And, uh, yeah, they'd, they'd all get to go out, you know, and then they'd have to go get their Ritalin. And, and he had to take it the morning before he went to school. And he would say, please, Mom, I don't want to take it. It makes me feel weird, you know. And uh, i say, you have to take it or... You won't be able to go to school, and I'll go to jail. You know, I was real honest with them, and I think that's the only reason he took it. Well, then he started acting hmm. out even more, and I brought him to the psychiatrist, back to the psychiatrist, and he says, well, he's psychotic. He has psychotic behavior. So they put him on antipsychotic medication, which then he he couldn't do any, you know what I mean? He was just totally out of it. And uh, I had to put my kids in permanent foster care because I tried advocating, but because I was a survivor of abuse and I was getting mental health help, nobody would listen to me when I said, I think my kids have been abused, you know? The social worker even said straight out, you just think your kids were abused because you are doing transference on your children because you were abused. So I wouldn't listen to, you know? And I was cue right on, <laughs> you know, and this is before they have these kind of lists, you know, but I, but I just knew that, that something was going on with, you know, the way he was acting. And, uh, yeah. but, you know, even his therapist said, well, you know, um, the reason why he acts out at home and is angry all the time is because he feels safe to be angry. And I'm like, oh, great. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't feel safe to be angry anywhere else, you know. And uh, that was like the only place that 
it was safe and I wasn't going to punish him for being angry, you know. I would say, well, you got all those cans over there. Take them out on the front porch and stomp on them, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or something like that, you know. I try And I try to work with them, you know, and say, just sit down and let's figure out what's going on, you know, and and try to talk things out with him. And so, you know, the reason why is because I was kind of reparenting myself at the same time. I was reading parenting books and everything so I could parent my kids. But in a way, too, I was reparenting myself. <laughs> so um, as you as you looked in that um, um, list, can you also see on the, the other two the, um, the um, sexual abuse in uh, older children? Or was that yes. in your Mm-hmm. Because um, I know I definitely had the um, definitely had the self-destructive behavior, suicide attempts, and self-mutilation, and of course the substance abuse. I also had eating yeah. problems. Um, I figured that was the only thing I, I had control over with food. I had eating disturbances, substance abuse self-mutilation. I don't think I was mm-hmm. ever incorrigible. I was never criminal. But depression, mm-hmm. I, had, I had heavy depression where I couldn't leave the house. Mm-hmm. Problems yeah. relating to peers. Yes, I didn't have any friends. Sudden mm-hmm. changes. I don't know if anything was sudden or not. Anger yeah. issues. Only anger turned about against myself. I could never express yeah. anger. Yeah, and difficulties in school I didn't have. I was one of those kids who said, "I've got to be perfect, and they'll love me." So I mm-hmm. studied all the time and got A's. Um, Although mm-hmm. well, in yeah. those children years, they aren't old enough to have maybe have problems. You know what I mean? It's like the kids that are acting yeah. old that they're more looking at. Um, I know that that I'd had talked to a lot of survivors that said, you know, nobody really knew because I wasn't doing bad in school. I was doing very well in school. And like you said, you know, this they had to be perfect or it was their their way to get away from abuse. And and so, you know, they paid attention in school and, you know, it was something for them to focus on. But when I was in school, I couldn't focus on nothing, you know, because all yeah. I was focusing on was going back home and, you know, and uh, yeah. that I didn't want to do that. So, yeah, so there can be just so many different things. And for me, my depression, I found out, was um, depression for me was anger turned inward. And and I was, yeah. you know, very angry with myself, self-blaming, um, uh, didn't, uh, didn't understand why I was having all these feelings, and then it just couldn't relate to peer as well. None of my friends felt like that, you know. And and I didn't feel, so I didn't even feel like I had any friends because they're they're not somebody you know none of the people that I hung around with was anybody that I could have had a conversation with with what was going on you know right um yeah yeah so do you have any more thoughts on uh, um what you think um, might be a uh, uh, Reasons that parents would hold back or adults would hold back talking about kids, talking to kids about um, body safety and um, telling 
if something happens? Well, I think one big reason is fear. They don't really want to know the answer because it might be yes. You know, if they find they could find out that their child's been abused, and that's a scary thing to find out. So I think that's one reason people don't ask. No? Yeah, I agree. Are you there? Um, there you are. Yeah, here, I'm sorry. Um, I'm, just doing my, I'm kind of dealing with a puppy at the same time. But um, anyway, I agree with that. Um, there are um, a lot of my friends, you know, that, that ended up leaving an abusive relationship. And uh, they want to answer kids, but they're, like you said, afraid because they don't want to know, you know. They feel guilty enough they stayed and their kids got exposed to whether it was they got abused and they do know some of it, you know, maybe not all of it, or they weren't abused. And a lot of times people don't understand that even if a child witnesses abuse, like it's a sibling or their parent or or any kind of abuse that they witness affects them, you know. Right, And And so, you know. I'm talking, I was working with Better Women's Shelter and talking to women about, you know, they need to get some kind of, you know, help for their kids, a therapist or something for their kids to talk about. Well, they weren't hit or they weren't abused or he didn't touch them. And I said, it doesn't matter. Can you imagine, think about being a little kid and watching your mom be beat up and fearing that she's going to die? You know, and there's a lot of kids that will take action and say, know where the gun is and go shoot the abuser, you know? And, and then right. there goes their whole life. There goes their whole life. Yeah. You know, you killed your dad or you yeah. killed your mom. Yeah. And then they go to juvenile and then that whole scenario, just, yeah, explodes. And I think it's just really important for, for adults to realize that by giving kids information, we're not, you know, people tell me, I don't want to take away my children's innocence. Well, you're not taking away their innocence. You're giving them the information to protect themselves, for them to be able to come right. to you and say, anything does happen, I'm here. And I think talking to kids when they're little is so important. My daughter was probably four years old. We went over to my grandparents who raised me. And my daughter was walking by, and my grandfather, and it was an innocent, had her on the butt, you know. But she turned around and put her hands on her hips and said, Grandpa, don't touch my butt. That's my private part. And I tell you what, he gave me the glare that, you know, looked like lightning bolts were coming out of his eyes, you know. (laughs) And I said, hey, I wish somebody would have told me that when I was four years old that I could say that. You know? Yeah. And I said, okay. I told my daughter, it's time to leave. And we left. And in the car, I said, I am so proud of you. You know? I wanted to take action right then and there to get her away and to say I'm so proud of you for, you know, standing up for yourself and and for saying that that was not okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, back then we didn't really have kind of resources you know that was 40 years ago you know or actually 36 when she was four but 40 years ago when I had her and there was not that kind of resources so you know I found this one book and I don't even know where I found it but I was gifted with it I guess it was a 
it was one of those, you know, things that just comes along and you're like, that's just what they needed. <laughs> but it was a book about these bunnies that had their bathing suits on. And it, it talked about nobody should be touching you under your bathing suit area. You know, um, hmm. or, you know, anything that's under your baby's bathing suit area, um, whether you have a bathing suit on or not or clothes on, should not be touched by an adult unless, you know, it, it's like a doctor or, you know, and it gave like some examples. And the big thing was, if something does happen, tell. You know? Yeah. yeah. And, but, you know, I was willing to go there and, and people said, I don't want to take the innocence away from my children. You know? The thing is, yeah. is you're not. You're not. Their innocence gets stolen when they get abused. Right. You know, their childhood, I know my childhood gets stolen. And I had to mourn the loss of my childhood. This is something I'll never get back. How did you do that? How did you mourn the loss of your childhood? One of the things I did is I wrote a letter to my to my little child that got abused, sexually abused, um, well, actually molested by my neighbor who um, um, started with putting his hands on my pants and fondling me. And then he asked me, he says, you tell your mom what goes on when you're over here. Well, I didn't know my grandma was my grandma. I thought she was my mom. But I said, yeah, I do. And um, I really didn't. But um, somebody just told me I should say that. And then he stopped. But he was still abusing my brother. And he was abusing all the children in the neighborhood. And so I wrote a letter to that little girl. And uh, I said, I'm sorry that, you know, you didn't get to have the childhood you deserved. You didn't get to, you know, run and play and just have fun like a little child should. You know, I just started writing this letter. I'm sorry that you didn't get to have. And, you know, that was not right. That was not right. And you deserve better. And you were born into this world with a purpose. And, you know, um, you, sh- you should have been able to, you know, have dream- hopes and dreams that you're going to be somebody when you grow up and, and not feel just, because I did. I felt like my whole life was ruined, you know, when I was raised mm-hmm. at 15. Because my grandma told me that if, if you have sex before marriage, no good man will want you. You know, and and well, right. let's set that up. You know, for a child, a good man will want you. So I didn't pursue good men. <laughs> so hey, Victoria, someone has me. called in. Oh, I'm going to go okay, and check with the person start? who's called in. That'd be fantastic. Oh. Thank you. So, for those listening, uh, we can um, wait till Annie gets back. Because I don't think we have anyone else. Um, we have one listener that's just listening. <laughs> um, so we're going to hold on. I'll be right back. But, um, yeah, NASCA um, has been a really wonderful organization for me. I think uh, somewhere between 13 and 15 years ago is when when I found NASCA. Annie, are you back? 
This is back in a minute. Oh, we have another caller. Okay. Wait for any. So um, for the new listener, we were talking about um, um, the effects that child abuse has on children, um, reasons why um, people might not want to, especially parents or teachers or whatever, do not want to bring up issues um, related to um, uh, any kind of body safety or talking about, like, if you get uh, abused in any way, come and tell me. Um, that these conversations are just really hard for people to start. And any do you believe also, because I believe this too, is that, you know, my grandparents, they were never, they were never told these kinds of things, you know? So of course they wouldn't know how to talk to me about it, you know? And, and I wouldn't have known how to talk to my kids had I not going to parenting group, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know enough about child abuse when my kids were coming up because I had completely blocked the memories of my childhood. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I I wasn't like overly cautious and stuff like that like I, I you know. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't I wasn't aware of it until much later yeah. in life. Yeah. Right. Right. Were you able to have those conversations with your kids about about safety and anything like that? Not that I can remember. They're pretty big now, you know, yeah. in their 40s. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. But, um, I remember, I remember talking, yeah, I remember talking about, um, you know, the the part, body parts and how where a baby yeah. comes from the woman's, you know, inside yeah. and that kind of thing. But I don't yeah. remember ever talking about abuse with them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, I know, you know, um, my son wanted to join football. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, like, oh, man, am I going to have to go out and watch my kids, you know, run into things and run into another kid and this and that, you know, and, and all that, you know, and all that training and stuff. So it's like. He begged and begged and begged. Finally, I said, okay, he joined football. And, you know, so he gets his football uniform and everything, and they all put their helmets on. And then the coach walks down, tells them all to stand in the line, walks down the line and bonks each one of them on the head. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you're a football player now. You know, like that's a, you know, initiation or something. <laughs> My wow. son takes off his head and throws it, says, I'm down with the ball. <laughs> and I thought, you know, if he thought that was bad, what about running into those things they have to run into, you know, with their heads? <laughs> but, yeah, he was down with the ball. <laughs> oh, he bonked him on the head. <laughs> hmm. I was going to because I didn't want him to be in football anyway. <laughs> but he did get into wrestling. And uh, when he was mm-hmm. in the foster home, he went wrestling. And uh, he came home, or he came over to visit me on the weekend and says, Mom, I'm in wrestling. And he says, um, you know what the coach told us? And I said, what? He said, if you're angry and you're going to go out there and you're angry when you're wrestling, they'll call you and you can't, you can't wrestle. He said, oh, really? That's interesting. 
yeah, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> and I said, well, it doesn't make sense because it's a sport. It's not to get your anger out on somebody, you know. Right. And uh, But he did very well in it, you know. But I wouldn't go to the, none of the wrestling things. I just didn't want to see my son being knocked around, you know. And he was in foster mm-hmm. care, and I knew they were going everything. So, anyway, he ends up being in this last big thing that he was in, you know, where they were competing and stuff, and begged and begged and begged me to go. And I said, okay, I'll go, Rick. I says, but um, when you get out there, when you come out, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to yell, don't hurt my baby. So he comes out and he's looking over at me when he comes out, and I stand up and put my hand by the side of my mouth, you know, and he's sitting, he's standing there, he's shaking his head, no. <laughs> I, did, I didn't do it, but I didn't do it, but that's why I sure felt like saying, you know. Yeah, I'll just I, I don't want to hurt my big, you know. <laughs> that's right. But, but it's, it's hard to talk to kids about, you know, about being kind to other people and not hurting other people and, you know, playing fair and, you know, just just basic things, you know. You have to have those kind of conversations. And so, so I tell parents, you have those kind of conversations. You have conversations about, you know, well, now bullies and other things. Um, what's holding you back by having this conversation? And and you find out a lot. And a mm-hmm. lot of it is nobody, nobody had a conversation with me. I don't know where to start. You know, I wouldn't even know what to say. When that's yeah. when I can say, go on the NASCA website, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. and listen to that that video. And I tell them it's a really good video for kids. You know, it's a cartoon thing. I said, and uh, what I suggest is you watch it first, and then you tell your kids that they're going to watch this video. And if they have any questions between the video, to raise their hand and you stop the video so they can ask the question. Because, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of kids are getting information. They'll have a question part of the way through or trying to say or whatever. And mm-hmm. they forget about it at the very end. You know, they forget to ask you. And so yeah. I, I'll, that's kind of what I suggest to parents. Tell your kid to raise your hand and you'll stop the video wherever it's at. You know, because you can do that now. <laughs> um you know, we never had those kind of resources when we were parents. No. And that's why I try to people. You know, I, I'm a minister ambassador, so I have a business card, and I pass note, and I said, you don't necessarily have to call me. Except go on the NASCA website because there's so much information. Be it that you're a survivor, caregiver, you know, parent, or you just want to find out more information. Because, you know, a lot of people hear a lot of stuff in the news about childhood. They don't really know, like, a lot of the facts because, um, you know, the news sensationalizes things. And they also take the real extreme cases because that's newsworthy, you know. And we really don't hear about a lot of the abuse that happens. But what we, we do hear is more than we used to hear. And the thing is, is because media, social media, all that, things get out so much faster. You know, like at my grandparents' age, you might hear what's going on in, you know, 
the the city or the area that you live in, the little neighborhood you live in. But beyond that, if, you know, if nobody's saying anything about it, it's all kept a secret. Um, nobody's knowing. And, and again, unless in ex- extreme extreme case that it might make it to the newspapers, but there weren't laws really back then either. So if something did happen to kid, you know, a lot of times they were believed to be liars too. And that I'm that's sure any doctors history. covered it up because you know I'm sure they saw things that were obviously child abuse and then they just never did anything about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they did. They saw a lot of child abuse. And, you know, but if there's no laws in place to do anything about it, you know, like the, I don't even think the doctors know who knew who to call. Now they have, they have to call child protection. Well, mm-hmm. you know, there was never any, a um, lot of people that seen this kind of stuff did not know what to do. You know, they might have called the police and maybe the police didn't respond or didn't care what was going on, maybe a prominent person in the neighborhood or even, you know, say a poor person in the neighborhood. Well, they're just, you know, um, you know, we don't even care. That's like a throwaway child. So, you mm-hmm. know, it, it can go all different directions with why people weren't reporting, you know, because what were they going to do once a child said they were abused even, you know, they can either believe the child or not. And if they do believe the child, where does it even go from there, you know? Right. And, and so I'm grateful for, yeah, we don't have the laws we need, but we have a hell of a lot more than than we had as kids and, like, say, my mother had or my grandparents had. Right. Know? And and uh, so, you know, you can see um, this progression of people becoming more aware, and that's a big part of NASCA is helping people be aware and not only aware that this is going on, but aware of our own selves and our own stories. And how do we heal from this once we recognize, like you said, it took a while to even have the memories. No. No, I yeah. had all the symptoms, all the craziness that I did yep. not remember. Yep. Yeah. 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 It makes a lot of sense. Because I think our mind is set up to, you know, to just function in daily day life. And, and uh, we, you know, we really have to do a lot of work. Um, you know, I tell people this is, you know, this is something that's taking care of yourself by working through this and, and being in recovery, you know, doesn't, yes. doesn't just happen, you know. You got to put in a lot of taking care of yourself, especially if you're never taught to take care of yourself. You know, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. If you weren't taught that, how are you supposed to know? Yeah. I know I was taught, don't take care of yourself. I was taught, take care of everyone else and put yourself last. That's the uh right way for a young lady to act. Yep. 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 And I was also taught, you know, the only reason that women are put on this earth is to have babies get married yep. and have babies, you know. I yep. want to go to college, and my grandfather said, the only reason you need to go to college is to get a husband. And they yeah. used to call it, yep, she's going to college to get her MRS. <laughs> <laughs> her missus. Her missus. 
you know, and, and my grandfather said the only long way ago, you know. No, and my grandpa said the only way that women make it in the business, in the business world, is by sleeping their way up. Yeah. So I really figured that even if I did, because I was really interested in starting my own business, that even if I did and I was successful, people are going to look at me like that and view me like that, because that's yeah. the message I was told. Hmm. So, you know. I was afraid people were going to look at me like that. Uh-huh. There's a lot of pe- odd things that are ingrained in us that, that it's real important for us to recognize, to start working on it. Yeah. You know, like where did we get that message from, you know? Or or even if you don't know where you got that message from, look in, you know, look at the message and, you know, try to debunk it. <laughs> like, no, right. you know, I need to take myself or I'm not going to survive. You know, I deserve to be healthy physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I deserve to be happy. I deserve to live a good life, to do things I enjoy doing. These were not the messages I was given growing up, you know. I love doing arts and crafts. My my grandfather would walk by my room and go, are you doing that artsy-fartsy shit again? You know? (laughs) And I had an allowance, so I was spending my money on arts and crafts. There was a library by my house that was learning how to do it all. You know, mm-hmm. and I love, I love doing arts and crafts. And my grandfather would say, you're never going to make any money at that. You know, and we I was waiting that in common. I, I love arts and crafts, too. And it was a great yeah. solace for me to escape into it. Yeah. Did you get much support when you were a kid to do that? When I was what? I'm sorry? When you were a child, did you get much support in doing arts and crafts? No, I remember being ashamed because I would go to the library like you and I would get books on how to do something, and my mother uh-huh. would make fun of me. Oh, and and yeah. I, I remember I, I was like, I want this book, but they're going to make fun of me. You know, Making fun mm-hmm. of each other was a big part of our family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But I did. Yeah. I, I I still do. I love to make things. Today I painted a chair. Oh, that is wonderful. That <laughs> is fantastic. I love yeah. it. It's so much fun. Yeah, I mean, it is. It really is. And that's the whole thing is that, you know, um, people go, oh, I wish I was, you know, creative or this or that. And I go, you are creative. Your mind is creative because you have been using your mind, your creative mind to survive, to get where you are today. Um, mm-hmm. If you had not you wouldn't have survived, you know. And and we need to give ourselves credit for what we have been through. The most important thing is whether we speak out or not about our own story, the important thing is, is uh, that we survive and then that we heal and recover, you know, and, and live mm-hmm. a better life than what our abusers wanted us to have because they did not want the best for us. No. At all. Any verbal, physical, emotional, sexual abuse. Those people did not want the best for us. Or they mm-hmm. wouldn't have done that. No. It's it's hard to imagine how parents can actually intentionally injure their offspring. But they do. Yeah. yeah. Mine mine did. Yeah. It baffles me, yeah. I have people that say, How could your dad do that to you? 
And I said, you know what? I really don't know. Because <laughs> I spent years trying to figure out why. And you know what? Until I focused on he did it, and this was the effects of it, and now how can I heal from it? I didn't start healing. Yeah. Until I recognized what the effects of the abuse was. And what happened to me? What was my story? You know, like they said, you can't you can't do anything about it for recovery if you don't even remember that it happened. And our mind right. I think, is really fabulous that it, that it protects us, you know. And like my therapist, yeah. I started saying, well, you know, I must be doing worse because now I'm really having flashbacks and body memories and this and that. She goes, no, actually, you're doing better. And I said, better? She says, yeah, it's finally safe enough for you to remember. And mm. I said, I don't feel better. And she says, well, actually, you're doing much better. And I said, well, mm-hmm. how about if I come back next week and you try to convince me again? <laughs> because I certainly was not convinced that I was doing better. <laughs> yeah. And and she just kept telling me that. I had a um, a psychologist that was a head of the psychology department that worked with me for intensely for 13 years. Because I was, I was diagnosed with MPD and had 31 personalities. Oh um, my! By the time, I, by the time, yeah, I got help, and uh, so, um, but they didn't get a correct diagnosis right away. They, they um, thought I had um, just depression to begin with, and then they decided I had borderline personality disorder, which is like just a horrible thing, because it's basically you're doing all these things to get attention. <laughs> you try talking about your really? abuse, and they think you're doing this for attention. Yeah. Huh. We used to call it. Yeah, I don't know much about water. that diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. Well, me and a friend of mine had it. And we used to call ourselves border liars. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the difference, okay? So when I was in the psychiatric ward and I had borderline, I was diagnosed. I didn't, you know. Um, people say I am borderline, but you're not your diagnosis. Just like I had cancer, but I wasn't cancer, you know. You're not your right. diagnosis. Your diagnosis is one little part of you, you know, one little part. It's just like if I said, you know, like I have kidney failure, I have um, IBM, you know, IBS, and, uh, you know, just different things. Some people have high blood pressure and some people have, you know, whatever. Um, it's just it's just a diagnosis. And the only good thing for a diagnosis as far as I'm concerned is so that you can get help. Mm-hmm. You know, so that you can seek help in recovery. Um, and, and to me, that's the only good reason to give anybody a diagnosis because a lot of people focus on what that diagnosis is and then it debilitates them, you know. They yeah. say, well, you know, I've, I have um, um, the fear of going out in public. I have social anxiety, which I do have. So I could just say I don't go out in public because I have social anxiety. I do have social anxiety, but I take risks because I want to get over it. So I take little risks, you know, and I have a a way that I can get home if I'm starting to feel anxious, you know. I'm still taking care of myself, but I'm also not saying I have social anxiety so I can't go out anywhere, you know. Right. You still work, work on changing it, you know, and I think... Just having the hope, especially 
I think it really helps for people to come on and tell their stories and then come on again and let us know how they're doing at a later date because yeah. um, I'm, I'm nowhere in the same place I was when I first came on the show, I don't know how many years ago, and uh, Bill invited me to come on the show, and everybody that heard me on that show was like, you're just like not even the same person, you know? I couldn't even barely mm-hmm. get my story out. I was crying and, you know, fumbling around for words, and for somebody was going to ask questions, I couldn't answer, I didn't want to answer. You know, and yeah, it was, I thought it was really good to be able to do and um, to get my story out, you know. Yeah. And it's really helpful if people do come on the show, if anybody wants to, that here's a show, um, just go to the NASCA website. There's an area um, for the Blog Talk radio show, and there's a contact that um, will set up Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. We have... Um, our guests are survivors that are that are telling their stories. And then Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have survivor professionals, as we call them. Well, we're all professionals because we survived. But <laughs> they're ones that, you know, make a living or, or have a job that deals with um, uh, child abuse, adult survivors, um, recovery, healing, you know. And uh, so it's um, it's beneficial to other people because... I've told my story and I've had people that have come up to me and said, you know, because you shared your story, I can share my story with you. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's a small little bit of something. And I have people that say, because you shared, say, I share in a meeting at, I'm also in recovery for alcohol and drugs. If I share in a meeting, I have people come up to me and says, because you, you shared, I feel safe with you. I feel safe to tell you this. And it is yeah. such an honor, such an honor to hear that. To yeah. hear somebody that says, I feel safe with you. And I just tell people, if anybody comes up to you and says that, please be protective of their information because it is an honor. Yeah. Have somebody trust you with saying I'm a survivor. I remember that when I first started to tell people, at first it was like such a big chunk in my mouth to say it, and it was like I had yeah. a body reaction to saying it. Mm-hmm. And now it's just yeah. like, no, that's just part of what my life was, and it doesn't bother me yep. to talk about it now, which yeah. is a wonderful thing. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. time. But... Yeah. 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 Well, that's the thing, you know, um, with with uh, recovery, you know, things just don't happen overnight. You know, if if you want to change, say, the social anxiety thing, you know, I, I went to um, support groups, you know, for an hour. I'd get there right in time for the group, and I'd leave right after the group, you know. Oh. And I had a sponsor that told me I had to stay in the meeting, and I would listen to the door in case I had to dash out of there and hold myself on the chair. <laughs> And Chris, I wasn't talking for nothing. I wasn't going to talk for nothing, you know. Yeah. And, and now, you know, you wouldn't believe that, that I was ever a person that couldn't look anybody in the eye, that couldn't talk about myself, that couldn't talk about anything. I was scared to death all the time. Yeah. And Me too. You know, me too. We have so much in common. That was me too. Yeah. We do. Terrified. Yeah. Yep, yep, 
and, and, and you know, I had the a game job, was and it was it was so hard to do my job. I was a teacher, and it was so hard to do my job because I was afraid of people. Wow, that had to be yeah. a difficult job to. It was. Troubles still. Yeah. Same time. Luckily, mm-hmm. I wasn't teaching children. Oh. I don't think I would have managed with them. I was mm-hmm. teaching adults. Oh, you were. Oh. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. What were you teaching? I was what were teaching, you teaching? Uh, English as a second language to adults, and I also oh. taught in the GED and high school diploma programs for adults. Oh, wonderful. I mostly did that, yeah. That's fantastic. It was fun. I really enjoyed I it, but I got really that. sick. Yeah. Yeah. I know that there's a lot of, I've talked to a lot of adults that never, never got to graduate from high school, you know, you are like, oh, right. I don't know, it's terrible at school and da, 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 you know, and I had to drop out for this or that reason or whatever. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, you can get your GED and they don't believe in themselves enough to even try, yeah. you know, they have somebody encourage you is just so important. And I say, just mm-hmm. go and try, you know, like we talked about before the, you know, you can either see something as a barrier or you can give it a try. You know, and, right. and the people that have tried were so proud of themselves after. Look, I got the GED, you know. I did it. Yeah. I didn't think I was going to be able to, you know. And they, they're just so happy because a right. lot of times, you know, you don't think that you can do things. And, and there's this one, and I wish I knew who said it, but... um uh, a very famous person said, um, everything is p- impossible until it's done. Hmm. Yeah. That's yep. a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And and I keep thinking of that one, you know, and uh, um, because there's a lot of things that, that I've done that, you know, I could never have imagined myself doing, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I could never I mean, have imagined myself being on a radio show. Oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> being able to talk publicly. Or, yeah, I could never. I, I, you know, I can remember in, we had to stand up in front of the class and give a speech or something in school, and I was terrified and got teased mm-hmm. afterwards and everything else. I thought... Well, that is something I will never, ever do, especially when I'm an adult. <laughs> you know, I would never do that, you know. And uh, yeah. I saw one woman, there was one woman that I went to listen to, and, and she just spoke her truth like you would not believe she was used in prostitution. And she just got up there and, you know, just said it like it was and was advocating for others. And this and that, and I just looked at her and listened to her and went, one day I'm going to do that. One day I'm going to be able to stand up, say my truth, help other people. You know what? I'm doing it. And when I wrote in in 2000, I wrote um, some uh, writings and I put them together in a book. And uh, I didn't want my name out there because my biological father is still alive and I was scared to death of him. Because he threat, threatened to keep me a prisoner if I ever left them. And I was scared to death of them. So um, I picked a name out of a Christian name book. 
And Victoria means victorious. Kept my middle name morose, which means spirit. And Kelly means warrior. So my name is Victorious Spirit Warrior. And I'll tell you what, Yay. when I did that in 2000, when I did, took that name in 2000, I did not feel that way. But today I feel like a Victorious Spirit Warrior. And matter of fact, some of the names that I was using when I was doing the usernames was Warrior Woman. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Because that's how I feel today. Yeah. I was in the cycle once and they gave us a sheet and the one side was passive and the middle was assertive and the right was aggressive. And I read down the passive and it was check, 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 you know, all the way down. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, then I looked at the assertive and I went, uh, nah, I could never do that. And then I looked at the aggressive and went, nah, I could never do that, <laughs> you know. And, but when I started going from the passive to the assertive, it felt like I was being aggressive. Because in my family, yeah. if I had done any of those things to be assertive, I was told I was being aggressive. Not maybe in those mm-hmm. words, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unladylike. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I always like when you were a little, a little kid and they'd say, act like a lady. <laughs> yeah. Like How about I get to be a kid? Yeah. Like, I have why can't I be a kid? with those big hats. No. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. Why can't I be a kid, you know? And yeah. we should all be kids. None of this should ever happen. None of this abuse should ever happen. And, you know, at NASCA, we don't compare stories. You know, um, mine is worse than yours or yours is worse than mine or whatever. You know, we look, like I always say, let's look at our commonalities rather than our differences. And we have you know, so many commonalities. That's Not right. Not just in the that's story right. of what happened, but in how we reacted yeah. to it. That's right, exactly. And we also have in common how we can help each other solve similar problems that we're having in our lives today as a result of the abuse. And that's why we do the peer support group. Because, you know, not that anybody's going to say you have to do this, but this is the way that I did that, you know, and that's why I like AA too, because my sponsor was not like you have to do this. And, you know, even in the big book of AA, it says these are suggestions. The only requirement is the desire to not drink. If there would have been anything more than that requirement, I would have got sober. <laughs> I'd never come back. Because <laughs> yeah. all I got to do is tell an alcoholic that they got to do something. They'll run in the other direction and do just the opposite, you know. So when they said it was a suggestion. It's a suggestion. That was a whole different story, you know. Right. Then I was able to listen, you know, but it took a long time. Yeah. It took a long, long time. Why don't I give the phone number out again? Maybe someone will want to call in with a question. That'd be great. The phone number, yeah. The phone number to call is 646-595-2. One one eight, and I'll uh, answer the phone and and welcome you, and you can ask a question or uh, talk a little bit about your own story. 
And then we have um, um, two people uh, listening, too. Um, and uh, I don't know, maybe we could ask them if they want to join in the conversation since they both said they were listening. But maybe they, you know, have something to say since, you know, they've kind of heard our conversation. You know, on the computer I'm looking at, Victoria, I don't see those two people. Oh, okay. On the switch, <laughs> right. on the switchboard. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. there were two people, two listeners, but they have both left at this time. Oh, oh. Okay. That's okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's mm-hmm. you and me. Well. You know, a lot of people, uh, you know, um, can't make the show. I just want to make sure everybody knows all these shows are recorded and archived. So if you want to listen to any other shows, um, regardless of whether you know what the show number is, you can just click on any of the shows and listen. And if you don't like that one, go on to the next one. You know, there's over 3,000 shows. Yeah. That's you can pick from, you know. So if you know, the first five don't sound interesting, maybe the sixth does. So, you know, don't give up. And I tell people if you keep listening to other people that tell the stories, eventually you're going to hear your whole entire story. <laughs> Absolutely. That is so true. That is yeah. so true. I just started reading a, a book by a survivor. And it was like uh-huh. that. I recognized that. I recognized that. I did that. They said that. This was my life. She was writing about things that happened to me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. just have so much in common, sadly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I mentioned my um, I mentioned my book that I wrote with some writings, and mm-hmm. uh, I was wondering if you might wanna. Um, Here's some of my ratings. I would love to. Okay, here's this is the first one that I wrote that got published. And I had somebody come up to me and ask me if I'd read that tape back the night. And I was like, I don't know. And they convinced me. And I got out there and there was all these people. And I'm like, I can't get up there and read this. And, and they says, um, oh, yeah, they really need to hear this, da, da, da. So I did. And I swear to God, I cried through the whole thing. And I, and I shook. And my voice shook, you know, like they say, speak your truth, even if your voice shakes, my voice shook, I, and I was crying, and I swear, I was sure nobody could understand me. And when I got off the stage, I had about 20 people that came up to me and thanked me for reading it. It's very short. It's called, Who is a Prisoner? Okay. Who is a Prisoner? Do you know what it's like to feel protected only in the presence of closed shades and locked doors? And even then, at times, feeling safe. Daddy walked around going wherever he pleased. I was a prisoner, yet he still holds the keys. The law says he can't harm me. Time goes slowly by. Do they know the torture that's still present with every tear I cry? I can't tell them how much it hurts me to know they let him roam. Do they know I'm still imprisoned in a place I should call home? The law was made to protect me, which truly isn't fair. I sit frozen in a prison as dead roams breathes the air. 
Beautiful. That's that one. The next one's called incest. I learned a word at my school today, incest. I did not know until then what it was called. Then I had a word, incest. The word could not stop what he was doing to me. He still continued to invade my body, my mind, my spirit, my soul. I heard the words incest as fast as laughter followed the chant. I did not know or even realize until six more years that incest was a crime. Forgive and forget are the words I was told by those who claimed to love me. Every time, stuff it inside, don't speak of the shame, hide the tears, silence the screams. No one ever really wants to hear. No one wants to believe that incest is real. Those children are attacked daily in the safety of their own homes. If people really cared, it would have stopped yesterday. I have been out of high school, when I wrote this, for 28 years. Some children somewhere are studying school. They're learning the definition of the word incest. They're not learning what to do if it happens to them. A message for every child who still lives with abuse. We are looking for a way to save you. For every child who died from abuse, we are sorry we moved too slowly. What can you do? What part do you play? Can we really prevent child abuse? With so many children in silence, I see them grown up every day. So many of them still trapped in the chains. I'm sorry to say for many, it is still not safe or okay to tell. I have been told, do not open Pandora's box. People will swarm to get help. We do not have enough services in place to accommodate them all. The question I ask the most, when will you stop talking about this? My answer to them, when child abuse is more. Mm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Then I want to read um, the one that I really like, and I, I read it a lot. Um, it's called The Strengths of a Warrior Woman. I gather hope from hearing the struggles of those who have walked similar paths, fragments of their stories paralleling mine. I grasp onto their words for the portion I savor as they saturate my mind and soul. I have been told I am courageous, that I've survived these unbeatable odds. Yet, when I find myself alone with my thoughts, memories, survival is just not enough. My inner voice and my guides speak to me. They whisper their truths and teach my mind and fill my heart. I am more comfortable being with myself. Then the peaceful moments come, as if a breeze is passing through my being. My energy is tapped, creativity explodes into the paper and the canvas. I never knew how to love myself, for my needs were not to be met. Given away, I always wondered what an awful baby I must have been. The voice from the mother of all ages insists that I have always been wanted and loved. The tears from days gone by swell up in my eyes and harden in my throat. Trapped inside are hopes I wonder if I shall ever see. When I am in need, the phone seems so far away, hanging cold and silent out of reach on the wall. 
I push myself off the chair, forcing movement, grasping on to hope and trust. I seek out numbers for people who have promised to be there for me, even when I am bouncing into my sea of depression. The phone's voice is a tone of emptiness and fear, tormenting my ears, soaking into my brain, yet I gain the courage to dial. Sparks fly through my senses and a voice reawakens my belief that I need not struggle alone anymore. Words flowing like music, you are accepting me just as I am, not trying to put band-aids on me, not trying to cover my pain, offering suggestions, not shutting me up. There aren't There are no cliches, no insistent demands. A listening concern, supportive vocal tone helps me to believe that I deserve to live, to be happy, and that things will be okay. For you can hear my story, not try to make it go away, not tell me to forget, not silence my anger or tears, giving me permission to feel to the depths of my soul. Your acceptance helps me to believe that I have not gone crazy, that I can live with all my reality, accepting my past a moment at a time. As I am just now feeling again, your words are in line with those who judge and blame. You find our commonalities, showing me our struggles, holding many shared feelings. Your courage helps me to see the courage in myself. Your hope opens my eyes to the great opportunities of today. Living through it in the moment fills my heart with joy, knowing I've survived another crisis, knowing the caring concern moves through the phone lines, filling my entire being. Help me to now take out my hidden writings, which have remained in storage, the ones I have been afraid to let another person's eyes see, another one judge. Help me to transform them into rays of hope to others. I return to my writing and drawing, hoping to each day somehow tap into the strength and compassion which I have been privileged to receive. I discover my truths and weave words and ideas to share a bit of the gifts which I have gained. I try to give really of myself the joy which I have found. O oh, Mother of the Earth, remind me to visit nature. Stand sure-footed on your sacred soil. Remind me of my roots. Give me strength. Nourish me up through the ground. <clears throat> Enlighten me with the wisdom and lives of the warrior women who have come and gone before me. Remind me of your love that speaks through the voices and from the souls of the ones you have sent to me. Those who give their gifts, really sharing their secrets, hidden beneath layers of pain, opening up their wounds for a chance to help another, inviting the exchange of words, mixing souls together, transforming the beauty of the moment in the memories of a life and the history of all time. The end. <laughs> Yay, beautiful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So I put that book out in 2000, and mm-hmm. it had about, I don't know, about eight, eight writings in it. And uh, I... I um, just printed them out myself on like, you know, just like copied them at the library or something. And then I yeah. laminated, went to the print shop and laminated the covers and the picture mirror at a year old and I had already been sexually abused in that picture. So I took that picture and I named the book Journey Within. 
and I got somebody on my space, which is dating me there, <laughs> to make the picture look like I was coming through a tunnel. Because that's what uh-huh. I felt. It was in the darkness coming towards the light, you know. And I felt like uh-huh. I was in the brightness of the light, you know. And and so that's what I wanted it to look like. And so he, this cool. guy did that for me. And uh, anyway, I, I printed out 90 copies, and then I printed out 90 more. I sold the first ones for double what it cost me to print them. I, I oh, spiral bound them myself. Punched the holes and spiral bound them myself. <laughs> and I sold them for double what it cost me. And uh, then I gave away 90 copies. Mm-hmm. And then that's right. Email came out. So people would say, oh, I'd like to get your book. And I said, well, I really don't sell it. I said, I'll email it to you for free, mm-hmm. you know. So I was just emailing it to people. Well, about two years ago, a woman contacted me on Facebook and said, well, I heard you have this book, and we'd like to help you promote it and this and that. And I says, well, it's just a book, so my writing is just no big deal. She said, what? I said, I just mail it, email it to people. She goes, you email it to me? I said, sure. So I did. And anyway, for a long story short, they're helping me to write my story with an editor and uh, um they already have a um, publisher that's interested in it. Oh, that's wonderful. And they're submitting the first chapter. They've already got a publisher. They have three publishers interested, and they picked one. Uh-huh. And, uh, so, you know, they're, they're, and it's my story told to them, and we did a bunch of Zoom meetings and stuff. And the woman that I really? sent my journal to because I have tried so many times to write my my book, you know, about my life. Mm-hmm. And I never knew where to start. And so anyway, um, I sent all my journals to them, and we did about eight Zoom meetings. And after the woman got, one of the women got all my journals and started reading through off some of them, she goes, you know, we have more than one book here. <laughs> and I'm like, that was that would be totally fantastic. You know, and people go, you're going to make a lot of money, and I, or they're going to rip off your story. You know, I hear both. And I said, either way, Aww. it doesn't matter. The purpose of me telling my story and somebody writing my story is for the information to get out there. That's all I've ever wanted, even with that, that other book I made. I didn't want to make money on it. I wanted to let survivors know they were not alone, let people yep. that were helping survivors to understand and just for people that were curious to be able to read about a survivor. And that was my purpose, and that is my only purpose. That is the purpose of my heart. And anything mm-hmm. above that or beyond that is a blessing. You know? Yeah. That's exactly how I feel. And if somebody takes my book and, and makes a bunch of money off it or whatever, that is not my priority. It never has been, and it never will be. My mm-hmm. priority is to reach a survivor that feels alone because I felt alone too long. I felt like yes. I know there are other survivors out there, but nobody felt like I did. Nobody felt crazy like I did. Nobody felt, you know, like they were worthless and, and didn't deserve anything and had no reason on this wor- earth, you know? Yeah. Um, I was a mistake. I was, you know, I had all these beliefs about myself that were just lies that were told into me. 
Right. And I react and behave out of those lies and, and those bad information, you know. And and so I don't have regrets because, you know what, I did what I could with the information I had. And nobody can expect to do anything more than that. But you can right. learn. You can change. There is hope. There's hope for everybody. I always say where there's breath, there's hope. Because I have been there's hopeless. There's totally hope. I have been hopeless to suicidal hopeless. And you know what? Yep. I never thought that. I would be where I am today. I, like you said, I never thought I'd be on a radio show talking, you know, with other survivors and, you know, talking about these issues and understanding these issues. Never. Right. That that was, you know, that wouldn't even been a thought in my mind. Because <laughs> my only um, worry at the time was surviving to the next minute, you know, I mean, that's why I say a moment at a time. You know, people go, well, all you got to do is make it a day at the time, a day at a time. And I go, a day is too much for me. Even now, I have 37 years and I tell people a day at a time is too much for me to take a moment at a time. And Mm -hmm. I have to stay in the moment. You know, I have to stay in the moment because that's all any of us have is this moment. That's so hard to do. We don't know. It is very hard to do. You know, they say the past is history and the future is a mystery. And the only thing we have is the present. The reason why they call it a present is because it's a gift from our higher power. Mm. And we can either take that gift or we cannot take that gift. And we can make choices. You know, like I might have a bad day and all I do is say to myself or say out loud, I'm starting my day over. You know? <laughs> That's or, a good idea. Or yeah, yeah. Or so, what if I made a mistake? You know, I can fix it. Or I can just say, right. I don't even want to do that. <laughs> you know, I thought about it, and I don't really want to do it anyway. You know, if, yeah. if you, you know, get an idea, I want to do. You know, I want to learn something, and then all of a sudden you get into learning it, and you go, I don't want to learn this. Well, don't. You know, we have choices. <laughs> We didn't have choices with children, you know, and everybody makes mistakes. And, and, you know, to stop beating ourselves up and give ourselves the self-love that we have always and should have always been told we deserved. It's hard. It's hard to love myself. Mm -hmm. I start loving myself and then I start in a list of all the things wrong with me. So where do you think that's coming from? Is that old messages? Um, yeah, old messages, things I used to believe, but they're mm-hmm. not true anymore. And I, I no. have to tell myself that. And and when I write, that really helps. Like if I sit and just journal, stream of consciousness, yep. that really helps with that. Yes, that helped me so much. My therapist said, you, you know, start journaling and stuff, and I was like, I'm not writing out of this town, you know. But you know what? It was such a relief. And whenever I get just totally overwhelmed, I can pick up a pen and just start writing. And afterwards, I feel drained because I got it out. And it's no longer Mm -hmm. eating me alive. That's how I used to feel, like things were eating me alive from the inside out. Do you read your journals to anyone? 
No, no. Matter of fact, I yeah. didn't read them at all because I had 31 personalities writing in them. <laughs> and oh, <laughs> different authors were reading them, and um, and uh, it wasn't it wasn't good. Let's put it that way. And so my therapist said, okay, whatever alters want to write in the journal can, but the thing is, is that nobody can read what anybody else wrote. So one author oh. had to, if they wrote in the journal, what they had to do is turn the page so it was a blank page, put a bookmark in, and the rule was you could only write in the journal if you opened it as a bookmark and started writing. And then you had to turn the page and put a bookmark in. Interesting. And all the Have you ever gone back to, to read mm-hmm. it? I did. did. Ever go back I did. I opened one now? of them up. I opened one of them up, and it was so depressing, and it was so dark and disturbing that I ended up right back in that pit of desperation. And that's oh. why I sent all those journals to those two women because they could read them and be objective because it was not their story. Yeah. You know? Right, right. And that's why I've never been able to write my book because I have a lot of information in those journals. That's why she said we have more than one book here. I have a lot of yeah. information and I have a lot of, you know, the Zoom meetings and they were asking me questions and stuff. So they have a lot mm-hmm. of information and it's going to be my story told to them is how it's, you know, going to work out. And they're they're just taking... Because they're women's studies professors out of Oregon, and um, they're just going to take out the amount of money of the time they put into writing it, mm-hmm. and you know, searching or reading my journals, stuff like that. You know, getting a publisher, all that. They're only going to help take you that, get the you know. publisher too. That's great. Yeah, they already got a publisher, and they just got an editor and asked me, you know, if it was okay to editor and I said yeah that's great so they're working on the first chapter of the book right now and as soon as oh, they submit wonderful. it then they said they're going to send me a check oh wow I said, I said well probably won't be that much she goes it probably will be um, quite a bit because most people that write that's all they do you know mm-hmm. so I don't know what to expect and like I said whatever yeah. You know, whatever I get, I'm, you know, and I want to make sure that they have resources in there, you know, like NAFTA, um, Suicide Crisis Line, Battle Women's Shelter, just different resources that I've needed or ones that I know people that have been through what I've been through needed so that people don't start reading the book and get to a point where they are in that pit of depression. Or they do realize, hey, this is going on in my life, and I need to get some help. You know? Mm-hmm. So I want there to be resources that people can find help. Yes. But it's mainly um, about uh, incest. My biological father did when he raped me from infancy till I was 21 years old off and on. And... Oh. We've only got 90 seconds left, so um, as we say, um, um, child abuse, preventing child abuse is every adult's responsibility. If you see something, 
say something. And uh, we're glad that anybody who listens to the show later on or whoever's joining us in any other um, way, um, keep coming back, come to the Zoom meetings, get support, um, call one of us. Um, there's numbers um, for ambassadors. You can call any of them up, and uh, you all have a wonderful evening or morning, wherever you're at. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Another tomorrow Cause that's gonna Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.